The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. My guest today is the youngest that I've had on this podcast so far, 17 at the time of this recording. But George Hadaway has already set in motion a remarkably fulfilling life trajectory. He's a young photographer, angler, and traveler that's really breaking the mold of what many his age are doing, living a really fulfilling life behind the lens of a camera and a fishing rod. I first saw photos of a young Hadaway holding an alligator gar and started following his adventures ever since. Travels to Africa, French Polynesia, Asia, and around our country to fish and capture moments in photography. This is an awesome young man, way ahead of his years, living life the right way. And it's a great conversation that other young folks can draw some inspiration from. His appreciation for the outdoors is eloquently captured in his photography. Still frames of moments in the wild caught with professional grade quality. What I like about George is that he promotes an active lifestyle, one that I think young men were meant to live. And so he's got a valuable message to bring to this podcast. And that's really the whole point of this thing. A push to those called to the outdoors. This is George Hadaway of George Hadaway Media. Okay. Uh, we'll just jump right into it. So George Hadaway, I'm, I'm pronouncing it right, correct? Yes, you are. Well, welcome to the program. I've been a, a somewhat of a fan for about, I don't know, two years. I think I think the first time I saw you, you seemed much smaller, but you were holding a big old alligator gar sitting in like waist deep water with a bunch of you know yep. mud and grass around you. I'm like, all right. Another young gun on the gar scene. So that, that always gets me excited, but uh, a little bit of extra digging. It looks like you've done a lot more than just that. But uh, man, uh, uh, just I guess just start with that gar thing. I mean, wh- when did your fishing start? I mean, I, I, all I know is when I was your age or that age or that size, I was not catching fish like that. So, yeah, so it all leads back to my dad, right? I mean, I think most people that, get obsessed with fishing. They have someone to mentor them along the way. And for, for me, that happened. It didn't the I didn't get completely obsessed up until the age of about 10. Um, my dad would take me fishing all the time, but I just never really felt the bug hit all the way. Um, and 
it was one trip when I was about 10 where he took me down a famous canyon here in Colorado called the Black Canyon. And it's known for having really good fishing. And I caught a 22-inch brown trout in there. And that was my first kind of real fish. And from then on, I've it, it just created a, a storm. And I have never stopped ever since. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, I would always watch River Monsters. And, you know, they have the episode with Jeremy Wade and he's in the Trinity. And ever since I had seen that episode, all I could think about was catching a big alligator gar. Cause I lived in the DFW area and I was like, okay, they're here. How do I get one? What do I do? And what, what ended up happening is I just entered a whirlwind of research and all this. And I decided for my birthday, I'd asked to go on a half day trip uh, with a guide, a pretty famous guide, who I think was the guy who took out Jeremy Wade. It was Bubba, right? It was Bubba. Yeah. 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 He's a character. He is, I, I know that boat is, from anywhere. So, yeah, he's a very interesting, interesting guy. Um, and he, he, he knows where the fish are. That's for yeah, sure. He, he, he knows his stuff. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. Definitely. Um, definitely an interesting individual. Um, <laughs> I think I might go fish with him this summer. So looking forward to that, to get on, get in some more gar. Um, and you know, we were fishing, it was the spring and we'd just been hit by a big flood and it was, it was hard. The gar were all spread out. They were hard to hook, hard to, you know, everything. And the days wrapping up and, and Bubba takes us up into an abandoned, I guess, it was so flooded back in Palestine and he took us out into this abandoned field where they had deer, deer feeders. And it was so flooded that the deer feeders, you could just barely see the top of them. And, you know, we casted out a big carp head and, you know, instantly just got hooked up to like a six footer. Um, and, you know, from then on, I was just, just couldn't stop thinking about it. And that just started a whole bug of, of fishing and then big fish and, you know, you know how it goes um and that also kind of started the travel bug for me um and that's that's another story for later um but yeah just adventure fishing is what what just sets my blood boiling i just can't can't get enough of it yeah no that's been kind of a common theme already with this with this uh podcast thing and, and the early developments all this is uh people kind of finding their way into fishing from mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a popular YouTube person, maybe it's Jeremy yep. Wade, maybe it's programs like that, but it's, you know, it's, it, it, I've had this conversation already a few times. I feel like that guy catches a lot of undue flack uh, for the programming, but I try to like remind people like, you know, for your show to be successful for whatever, however many seasons it's been nine, nine seasons or whatever. Oh yeah. You have to inject a little bit of drama, a little bit mm -hmm. of, entertainment into it so you know this guy knows what he's doing he doesn't believe some of those fabled myths but you know the effect that that show has undoubtedly had is it's gotten a lot of kids that may have not otherwise been interested in fishing to yeah, go yeah. to their local pond or their mm -hmm. local creek you know even if they're just playing games like they're they're imagining that they're jeremy wade and but it's getting folks outdoors so it's funny that you would mention that um i i mean but when i saw you doing that it's like you know, I was the same way as a kid, but I feel like, man, you, you have started your journey, you know, at a, at such a, er, an earlier rate that I'm like real excited to see what your trajectory yeah. is going to be just as an outdoorsman in general, because 
man, you, you're, you're way ahead of the pack as far as like some of the fish I've seen you catching. And, and I love the diversity too. That's like the tone of this show that I really want to, to push is you just diversifying your experiences outdoors. So yeah. know, I've seen you doing the trout stuff. I've seen you dabbling in the carp world. Um, oh, yeah. I saw it. the alligator gar thing, obviously. So you're getting around from, from the oceans to the mountains, to the swamps and everything in between. And you're doing it quickly at, at a young oh, yeah. age. So it's like, it's really motivating to see. I feel like, I feel like the younger guard of anglers and outdoorsmen are more that way. And it's mm -hmm. good to see because there's been nothing more frustrating, especially with regard to fish like, like gar, where they were looked at in like a, in a, you know, with disdain or yep. it's not worth yeah. going after. And I feel like that sort of grandfathered in mentality is going away. So it's, it's a good thing to see. It's motivating to see. Um, but man, it's, and I hate, to, I don't want to even jump off that topic necessarily, but then I see, so, you know, I, I did a little bit of digging, but then I see, I didn't realize you had such a knack for photography, which is mm. like, I've got a lot of like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, or ought to be hobbies. And like, I feel like that's one of them. Like I really, really, really admire like, uh, passionate photographers for some reason it's not really a skill of mine but i feel like i don't know it's like i'm like eager to meet somebody that can almost like provide like a mentorship because wildlife photography is like before i was ever a fisherman i was like a wildlife nut and you were probably the same way i was just always oh, that yeah. kid from from the time i can remember i yep. just wanted to see animals so to be able to see them maybe a little more intimately like through a scope right up close and personal without disturbing them seems so fascinating and, and, and interesting to me. So now that one, you know, and I was blown away by the quality of the photos that you've taken because you just came back from what, where was I think I wrote uh, Tanzania, right? You were in Africa yeah. or something. So, yeah. So I went over to Africa for 17 days and for me, that wasn't even a fishing trip, you know, it used to be for me, if I was going anywhere that had a, even a distant possibility of there being fish, I would, I would bring a rod and, and all I would do is fish. And, and I matured a little bit, you know, it's not to say I'm still obsessed with fishing, mm -hmm. um, but I've definitely diversified my interests a little bit. And I'm a completely self-taught photographer from the age of, let's see, I, I was, 13. So right about when I caught that gar, I got my first camera and it was a really old Nikon. I think it was a D 7,500. I might be wrong on that. It's been so long. And, you know, it was like really basic entry level, you know, and, and it was, it was older than I was, I felt like. And, and that gave me like this motivation, having a nice, you know, nice at the time for me, it was great to learn on that. Um, that camera really, really set me, set me off on that as well. And I just got obsessed with it. And it was the same thing with fishing. I just started watching video after video after video mm -hmm. on YouTube. Cause it's the best way to learn in my opinion. Yeah. I've learned so much more on YouTube than I ever will in school. And I think, <laughs> and I stand by that. Um, I've never taken a photography class. Everything I know has been on YouTube and, and it's all been free information. And it's so cool to have this, this giant encyclopedia of knowledge out there of people that are willing to just share, share all the 
they know. Um, I think their motivation is probably to get views, but I don't, I see it as they're just giving away free knowledge. And that just, once I learned how to use a camera and manual and all that kind of just set me, set me up for, for some success. And, you know, once I got obsessed, I just never stopped. And I've been doing it all through middle and high school. And lately what I've done is I've combined photography and fishing. So now (laughs) everywhere I go, I bring a camera and, you know, Africa was different. I brought a fly rod because they're easy to bring, but I probably only fished for like 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, when I had the time. And, and what I realized is that was fine with me. You know, all the photos I took, all the wildlife I saw, the crazy stuff that happened. It was just so amazing. And, and the fact that I didn't need to fish to experience that was, was pretty enlightening. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a crazy trip. I took over 11, 11,000 photos while I was there. It took me, I think four or five days to narrow that down to like a hundred, um, and then keep kind of going down with it. But, um, yeah, you know, if anyone, you know, wants to get into photography, the thing I recommend is just start with a really entry-level camera and build up, you know, you can start, learn the basics, learn how to shoot manual, all everything that there is learn that camera like like the palm of your hand mm-hmm. and once you do that and once you get all that figured out and and you know software especially i think that like 60 percent of the photo is on the computer i really believe that yeah it's crazy what what lightroom editing will do to your photo and and that's a, a resource that that definitely should be utilized um if you want to bring your photography to kind of the next level you know, if you can always make mistakes out in the field and Lightroom can fix most of them. So, um, but yeah, not to, not to get off on a little, another little path, but no, I mean, that's, that's the name of the game on this thing. I, I don't want to corral your, your, your thoughts and in your mm-hmm. words, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to keep you from, I want you expanding on this stuff, but it's, you know, you can draw parallels between camera gear and just about anything that you use in life. I, I like that you mentioned starting with something basic. Because, I mean, if you get good with a basic camera or if you get good with a basic rod and reel setup or if you get good with a basic whatever in life, you're only going to be better at using the good stuff. Exactly. And more prepared when, you know, I don't know, if, if you kind of operate in that mentality in anything in life, if you, mm-hmm. if you kind of embrace the difficult uh, routes that you might take, makes it yep. a lot easier when the comfortable routes inevitably turn uncomfortable because uh, you yep. can kind of revert back to that. But, but yeah, that's... That's interesting. And I really like when you're talking about, I I got a little kick out of you saying that you learn most of the things on YouTube because, you know, that's, it's, oh, YouTube and like even social media have opened the floodgates to a lot of things. A lot of it bad, a lot of it good. And a lot of it, even that is bad, bad can be, I don't know. I mean, if, if you look at it, you can make lemonade out of just about anything, but I'm the yep. same way. I mean, there's a lot of skills I don't have. If my car breaks down on the side of the road, first thing I do, I don't grab a wrench. I don't grab a tire iron. I go to YouTube and try to figure out how to fix because yep. everything's on there. Exactly. And I, uh, and I applaud the people that put out content, whether it's video, whether it's written, whether it's podcast, whether it's whatever, where it's informative. Um, that's yep. probably more my speed, but you know, I, I appreciate what YouTubers even, it's not my thing, you know, um, to go out and make a silly video and fish with a a pool noodle or, 
make a video of Karen's calling the cops. You know, it's entertaining, I guess, but um, not my speed. I, I couldn't do it, but I appreciate what those guys do because mm-hmm. a lot of times their viewership is from younger people and it's getting folks outdoors. So, yep. so that's, that's okay. But um, yeah. And I, and I think the next thing that we can do too is, you know, if you're the type that's gathering information or you're consuming information or you're consuming people's content, you know, it seems like you're the type who's kind of paying it forward. And you're also, mm-hmm. um, you know, hang on a minute. We may have to, Okay, a strange pop-up came up on the screen. I can edit all this out. I was like worried something no worries. stopped. I was worried something stopped working. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, no, I mean, you know, when you, it, it, it's always nice when people share the experiences they're having too, because it's very easy to take those things and keep it all for yourself or, you know, make the experience be more about like what you've accomplished and what you've done and definitely and less about trying to push and encourage other people to go do it. So but the um, the photo stuff that you did, I was like, oh wow! Like you know, I think Africa's always kind of been on a radar of mine anyway, of a place that I want to go. But um, I like I like that you mentioned too that you know you brought rods, but you're more focused on. I don't know. I I I noticed that we do that a lot as anglers, where if you get so focused on the bite and the objective is so much focused on catching the fish, there's a lot of things that go on when you're outdoors and you're peripheral that you miss that you don't want to miss. And that's always kind of been my thing. Um, and I learned that from some guys that I've spent time with outdoors that, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to walk a little slower. Sometimes you have to take the long way around because there's the unplanned things that seem like they happen in the outdoors are are always my favorite. Oh, like right now I'm working on a video project with a buddy of mine, uh, this guy, Josh Dolan. Oh yeah. And a lot of the video that we've got of the coolest moments that we've gotten have been like wildlife that we encountered. We got, uh, you know, the, I guess this is a spoiler alert because none of this has been dropped yet. But um, last time he was out, you know, I've gone up to Virginia. He's come down here to Florida. We've gone out to Texas. We've, we've moved around. Mm-hmm. But we got some cool video of like bison out on the prairies. Yeah. We got a, a, a real cool video actually out on the Trinity River when we were doing an alligator oh. guard video of this huge, like it was like a 10 or 12 point buck, um, you know, because you know how those river those rivers are in the Trinity. It's like mud bluffs. Oh, it's yeah. It's like it's these horrible like cliffs made out of mud. Well, this buck was like down on the bluff. It was like bedded up and, 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 he, and he saw us, but he couldn't get up the cliff. So, uh, you know, if I was just only watching the river, and I was only looking for rolling gar and I wasn't looking, you know, left or right. I might have missed that, but we got some real cool video yeah. of that big deer. I mean, right up close like to, to where you can see the oh, flies yeah. flying around its eyeballs. God. Um, but we got one, uh, a real interesting one. We got a video of this giant bobcat out here in, in Florida hunting iguanas in the bushes. Of, like South cool. It's a really interesting dynamic. Like mm-hmm. you got like this ultimate native predator, and it's chasing this invasive species. And it, it, there's a lot of parallels between the program that we were filming anyway. It was really cool because, you know, you would never notice that if you were so focused on trying to catch the fish. So, you know, I try to encourage people a lot of times, like, stops focusing so much on catching the fish. Like, you're going to stress yourself out. You're yep. going to miss all the unplanned things. You know, you're not going to find the true happiness in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like I think especially guys that are just into photography, they're, they're detail oriented, detail minded people who, who want to like capture 
moment. So I always really admire good photographers. There's a couple, there's actually, you know, a list of people that I have that I want to contact for this podcast. And a few of them are strictly wildlife photographers, no hunting, no fishing. It's just, it's something that's really interesting to me. So, Mm. um, that's really cool. And, and, uh, and, and, and I like the fact that you say that you're self-taught that's, that's wild. I've always been like, there's so many things I want to do, but I'm like waiting on somebody to show me how, so maybe I need to just move on things. But, um, but yeah, but just going back to the Africa one, where or where were you? <clears throat> I don't even know how to like segue into this, but it's like one of my bucket list fish, like you've already knocked off a couple of my bucket list fish mm-hmm. is those Napoleon wrasse. Is that what that oh, was? The big blue yeah. one, right? Yeah. Napoleon. Where was that at? So that was in Polynesia. Polynesia. And I went into that trip and it was a family trip and the whole family was down there. And what it was two, it was two families. One of my good friends, Max Kaufman, who is just obsessed with fishing, just like I am. And will fish all day and all night till, till the bite happens and he gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a family trip. I wasn't expecting to do much fishing the first time, but cause I've been twice because it's a great family destination. Um, and the first time I went, you know, I caught some really big bone fish and it was, it was amazing. It was like a promised land. Um, yeah. my friend Max caught a 30, I think it was a 32 inch bone fish. It was the biggest bone fish I've ever heard of. Oh my it, was gosh. Huge. it was over 12 pounds. And those, those don't really exist anymore in like Florida and the keys mm-hmm. and the Atlantic. They just, they've kind of been all fished out. And to, to find a place that still has them and, and they're very much willing to eat a fly was pretty cool. So I was like, okay, I got to go back. And this, this second time we went, it was in, it was in March. So it was my spring break, me and my dad and Max and his dad decided to book like a little live aboard boat type situation. And what that enabled us to do was we went and, and um, went over to this remote this remote island called Fakarava, I believe. And it was way out there in Polynesia. And it was really hard to get to. But what, what I ended up encountering out there was just this just rich, incredibly rich coast out there around this island. That was, I've never had, I don't think I've ever had fishing that good. And, and it was funny how, how it all happened. Um, and and what, what ended up happening though with the Napoleon is I had never heard of one, not, <laughs> it wasn't even on my radar. And all of a sudden, this is a couple of days into the trip. We're only fishing top waters. It's all we were fishing. We jigged a little bit for dog tooth tuna, which was great, but we couldn't keep them button. They kept getting sharked. Mm-hmm. Max hooked like a, it was over 150 pounds. It was huge. She was getting absolutely destroyed on a 18,000 Stella just could not even do anything to it with like 40 pounds of drag on it just was ripping him and it just got sharp <laughs> right before he got to the reef. So the dog tooth were not cooperative. They're really hard to land. And that was a big bucket list. And I call like a 20 pounder and it was great, but I, I really, I'm going to go back out and, and get a hundred pounder. It's my goal. Um, but but what ended up happening is we were throwing topwaters for GTs, and that is a hard game. You are casting, mm. you are casting giant poppers bigger than your shoe, 
for yeah. hours and hours and hours. And it, I've never, I don't think I've been that sore in a while. I felt like I had just run a marathon. And it was like the end of the fourth day. And I was in the bow, Max was in the stern, and Max cast his big popper out. And all of a sudden, he gets a follow because the water's so clear over there. You can see everything. Yeah. And I see this just giant blue behemoth <laughs> come up behind his <laughs> popper. And I was like, dude. And so I started yelling at him. I was like, Max, pop, pop, pop. There's a huge fish behind you. And he wasn't able to get it to commit. But what I learned later is that Napoleons are really curious fish and they're pretty intelligent. And it saw a boat. I don't think this fish had ever seen a boat before or lure. And it, it all of a sudden it just starts swimming like about two feet below the surface towards our boat. And I was <laughs> like, That's the wrong way. But it basically put me in a perfect position to make a quick little, it was like an eight foot pitch. It was, it was just a, I just flipped my top water out there and I give it two big pops and then a twitch and I just let it sit there. And all of a sudden I just see this giant bucket of a mouth, just crush it. Oh my I, I gosh. Just, just came up behind it and it was like a five gallon bucket opening up behind my lure. And I was going crazy. Everyone was going nuts. And, you know, I kept him button, thank God, because that was a hard fight. I mean, it was like a 10-minute long fight. And we got him in. And we pull him in the boat. You, you never gaff him because they're endangered. And, you know, you got to release them. Okay. It's not good eating. It's like playing Russian roulette with Cigatera. Like, you're going to get sick. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we pull him in through the tuna door because it was like 40 pounds. And I go, what in the hell did I just hook? I had never <laughs> heard of one before. And what my friend Tom, who was the captain, said is he said that's a really rare fish. And that's what most people come down here to catch. And I had been so obsessed with the GTs, I didn't even think of like that there's all these crazy other fish down here to, to pursue that are right. just as much of trophies, if not more. I got so lucky with that thing. It was the only fish of the trip. Uh, that was that, in my opinion, that cool. And it was so much cooler than I think any GT I, I, I'll ever catch. Even if I, I mean, if I get one over a hundred pounds, it's probably going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a fish. I mean, I, you know, I've never caught either of those, but it's, uh, for, and for people that might be listening that, that don't know what we're talking about, a Napoleon Rass, I don't even know how to describe this thing. It's like, it's like a mix between a gigantic parrot fish, but without the beak or like a Goliath grouper or I don't know that is massive giant like and then they, these things get into the hundreds of pounds but they are bright bright like blue not navy yep. blue not silvery gray blue it's like as blue as a blue t-shirt so they're a wild yeah colorful mm -hmm. just gnarly looking animal and so you know it's one of those things that I mean you can't mistake it for anything else I don't mm -hmm. think uh but um Man, I'd seen photos of those things online and went down like the rabbit hole of just Googling yeah. and YouTubing. And it's funny you mentioned how curious they are because apparently they're like, yeah, they're a real popular fish with the divers because yeah. they, you know, they like to come around. And I was watching these videos, you know, these things look like, you know, giant barn doors swimming around down there. That's I'm like, what oh, they are. What, what would happen if that thing got, you know, pissed off at you or something? You know, that's my imagination running, but, uh, I didn't know beyond that. I didn't really know. You know, I see these photos of people holding these giant things in their laps. 
And it does seem more interesting to me, even than a GT, I think, mm-hmm. you know, some sport fish just attain a level of, I don't know, they, they've just become an iconic symbol of sport fishing. And it's, you know, they may not be the biggest, strongest or hardest fighters. I, although I, I think GTs, I don't clearly, I've never caught one, but I mean, oh my they, God. they look like they can rip, but oh, uh, something I've about been. those Napoleon rats. And I want to get into the GTs because that's another bucket list item, mm-hmm. but I, you know, they're not flashy fish. They're just a gnarly, yeah. nasty fish. But those Napoleon wrasse, I didn't realize that they would even take a topwater. It looks like a grouper. It looks like it does something it that's does. like probably eating baits near yeah. the bottom. So that's interesting. You caught one on topwater. That is wild. The fact that it was on a topwater, you know, and it was definitely not the biggest. I don't even know what you'd qualify Napo- like a big Napoleon as. There's so I feel like there's not much. No one, not many people know about them. Mm-hmm. They haven't like everyone, anyone who fishes saltwater, when you say GT, they know exactly what you're talking about. Right. But when you go up to someone and say, Hey, I caught like a 50 pound Napoleon, they're not going to know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't even, I was just so in shock. I was like, what the, what just ate, what did I just bring in? And it was just such a cool experience. And something about getting on a, getting on like a seven inch topwater lure, that was just so rewarding. You know, jigs are fun, but something about seeing a fish come up and blow up on a topwater, there's nothing like it. And then also sight fishing one on a topwater. I think that even, oh, brings yeah. it up even further in my mind, you know, there's topwater fishing and there's sight fishing. If you combine the two, it's just, just insane. Um, but I mean, I think like the gar, is my first fish over 100 pounds and it used mm-hmm. to be like my favorite the my the coolest fish i'd ever caught and and then when i held that thing i was like what exists in our oceans there's some crazy stuff swimming yeah. around that needs to be caught you know um and it definitely wasn't the biggest i mean i see pictures of people on instagram with like 80 100 pounders or even bigger just sitting in their laps looking like whales um but you know it was just, and if they catch it on a vertical jig, I'd rather catch one that was smaller on a top water any day. Mm-hmm. It was just like yeah. the coolest, coolest fish I've ever caught. And well, it's, it's still a, a bigger and more unique fish than a lot of people, a lot of very seasoned anglers may ever see in a lifetime. So yeah. that was, I mean, that thing was awesome. But uh, so lucky. But but the um, the GTs, I mean, that's that's one I really want to do. That's that's an interesting one to me. And I've always been kind of more a freshwater guy, but there's certain saltwater fish. It's like, you know, you, you just have to catch them. So, oh, um, yeah. but that's always been a fascinating one to me because, you know, and you probably caught like Jack Creval in Florida. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's almost essentially the same fish. Just our, our jacks are obviously smaller, yeah. but they're looked at with, but like, it seems like the ba- based on what I've seen videos and stuff, like the 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 behavior patterns seem similar. They are. Um, the way they fight seems similar. But yet, you know, the jacks that we have here in Florida almost looked at like the trash fish of they salt are. water, which is unfortunate. But it is, uh, it is really unfortunate. And a guy on Instagram, his tag is Captain Jack Productions. He's big fly fishing guide and he makes these really cool fly fishing films. I've seen his things. Yeah. He recently, I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago, he made a new film um, called Jacks, and it, and this guy has fished all over the world. I mean, he's probably the most well traveled angler I've ever seen. He's been to Mongolia, I mean, just the Seychelles, anywhere you you any country you think has fish, he's probably been. 
And what he realized is that yeah, that's Jacko Jacks, Lucas, right? Yep. And and Jacks don't deserve this this uh you know this this rating as being a trash fish. He's caught hundred pound GTs, and he says that when he's in Texas and on the coast, the first thing he's fishing for is Jacks because they're so similar. You know, they may only get to like thirty pounds being a big one, mm-hmm. but they fight so similar, and it's just I don't know, you know. And what's so weird is people say, oh, they're not good eating. They're jacks. Well, GTs are also horrible eating, and they're, oh, yeah. they're certainly not a trash fish. I mean, I would never eat a GT. They're disgusting. So it's just weird how some of these fish get this really negative connotation. And, and that's why I've always been so obsessed with carp, because I, I always like, you know, kind of putting the stereotype that carp are invasive and, and trash fish. And sure, Asian carp are horrible. But I mean, you know, the good old the good old mud bonefish that that's living in probably ninety five percent of America's waters is great, and and what I realize is they're really fun on, on the fly because you know they'll tail just like bonefish, and I love bonefishing. I don't do it very often. It's you know really hard to get to somewhere that has bonefish. I guess Florida, but you know Florida's not what it used to be, and. Mm-hmm you can go walk to your nearest sewer drain five minutes from your house and catch a 20 pound carp sight fishing it just like you would a bonefish. And, you know, they're just the most accessible out there. Um, and the trash fish is totally undeserved. Um, you got to stock one on the fly or, or with a spinning rod and just pitch something in front of it for you to, you know, people to really realize, wow, these things, you know, they pull. They really do. So, oh yeah, yeah. The, the the trash thing's always been the trash fish thing's always been a, uh, you know, a lot of the fish that I like to pursue the most kind of well sort of fall into that category. I feel like, like I said, I feel like that mentality's starting to die off. It definitely, which is, is which is nice. But uh, I mean, I encountered that, you know, term early, early on when I was first starting kind of transition from just like a kid that liked to be outdoors to like, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call me like a fisherman. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sort of self-taught. My brothers took me a lot, but I was going out mm-hmm. there a lot. It was just an excuse for me to get outdoors. Yeah. So I was running into these fish I knew nothing about. And then I'd have to come running back and try to figure out what they were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is the one that fought really hard and was awesome. And then I'd hear people say, oh yeah, but, but that one's actually a trash fish. And then I encountered another one that I was like really impressed by. And that one was also a trash fish. And I started, I started to notice there was like this direct correlation between it seems like all the ones people call trash fish are the most entertaining ones to catch for me. Yeah. So now, like if I hear somebody say that, it it actually like turns me on to the idea of wanting to go after them even more. But yeah, it's a, the carp ones, you know, a, a, that that is a that's a funny one because especially with a common carp, that's like a weird, that's like a weird one. Cause they've been around so long. And then, and I mean, they're, they're literally in every single major bass yeah. lake in the U S like the top 10 prominent big bass producing lakes in the country. All of them have common carp, a lot of them. And I'd, and I'd rather go fish for carp in those lakes than bass. Right. Well, that's funny. I mean, and and I think most, it most, a lot of kids that live nowhere near the coast, like they're never going to encounter the opportunity Mm-hmm. to come across a 40 pound freshwater fish like the people that are living like in the interior of the u.s mm-hmm. that's a monster that's a giant animal to them and i and my first fish that was ever i guess big 
my first fish over 40 pounds was a grass carp when I was, yep. I don't know, I was like 13. And I mean, I was like to the moon when I caught this thing. It's a little a pond that we lived on when I was a kid, right out of the backyard, big 40 pound grass carp on a piece of bread. And, uh, that was like, oh, man, that, that, that was it for me. But, but, um, yeah. And, and I saw your pictures of the grass carp, some of the big grass carp, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me though. I, I love to see people who are throwing plugs are throwing baits are doing different stuff, uh, fly fishing. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, when you get that well-rounded or well-traveled, especially at your age, I want to get kind of into the travel stuff Yeah, because there's photo, there's photos of yours that I couldn't tell what was happening in, but I was like, there's definitely a story behind that. Mm -hmm. Like you've got one picture where you're like on top of some strange bus, like a blue. Oh, that's like, a good story. What, what is that bus? I'm like, I look at that bus. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that looks oh. like a, like a, that looks like a rolling good time. And I got to know is. more about that thing. So it all leads back to one of my best friends. His name's Garrett. And right now, currently I live in, I live in like the Rocky mountains of Colorado, which is a long ways away from where I grew up as a Texas boy in the city. Um, but I ended up here and, and I met a great group of guys here in Colorado and some of my best friends, the most fishiest people I've ever known that I'd rank up there with some of my great good guys I'd always ask to go fish with. Um, they live in Colorado Springs, which happens to be about a three and a half hour drive from me. And, and I've just, the, the relationship I've, I've developed with them is so awesome that I, I find myself driving down there every other weekend if I can. And, and a couple months ago, my friend Garrett texted me. He said, George, I'm buying a school bus. And I go, what? You're buying a school bus? What? Why? Why? What's the purpose of buying the school bus? And he said, well, my, well, my dad, he wanted me to, to have a little RV to drive around during college. And I said, okay, but why a school bus? Well, and he said, they're really cheap. And I said, perfect, get the school bus. And he got it and it was already, you know, it had like, it's got like 250,000 miles on it. Um, and, but it's already like set up to be an RV, you know, it's got like a bed in it and, and a little, you know, a kitchen sink that someone made out of like a, a hose, like a spigot. And it's great. It's got everything we need. And we decided he, we had to pick it up in California. So what the three of us did, we flew to California uh, over Thanksgiving break and we drove it back from California to Colorado, did a little fishing along the way, but it was just such a great adventure. And we've kind of turned it into this little like adventure mobile where we just drive around the U S and definitely has its issues. We broke down in Sedona for like six hours um, but you know, that's just what comes with going on adventures like this, you know, stuff's going to go wrong. You just got to be ready for it because there will definitely be, it could be like a little day trip, but something will go wrong eventually on no matter where you go. And well, that's something I realized. It, it's almost not an adventure if everything goes to plan. I don't know. I agree. You, you, you got, you got to have that, that, I don't know that like moment that you got to like break through for it to be a mm -hmm. good story. It's like, if I, all the trips I've ever had where everything went according to plan are like things. I, I get fuzzy on the details. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants me to recollect them, I don't know. It's like, but when, when things like suck and something bad happens, I'll like, you don't forget that. So definitely, but, um, but that's interesting. So 
I don't know. I look at some of your stuff and I, and I want to ask the questions that I imagine other people listening, you know, especially people who are thirsty for adventure in their life. They just mm -hmm. haven't done anything. They've just yeah. lived a mundane life, uh, or, or, but they want to do these things. You know, people will ask simple questions. Like I'm kind of like, I actually don't know these things. I don't know how old you are. I don't know if you're in school now. I don't know like what you're doing. I don't know what your plans are. I know this is kind of open in this stuff, but like, yeah. where are you right now? And like, it, what stage of life are you in? Are you between so, semesters? I mean, where, where are you going here? So right now I'm 17, almost 18. I turn eight. Well, I guess not almost. I turn 18 in May. So got a little while, but um, I think once I turn 18, the traveling, the money I've saved up to go do adventures, <laughs> I think my travels, I will be going everywhere. Um, yeah, right now. So I'm, I'm in high school still. Um, you know, I'm starting to look at colleges. I'm going to go visit colleges pretty soon in, in May. And I decided to do a semester, my second semester in the Bahamas. I thought it'd be a really good experience. And it's at a school called the Island School. And I didn't know if I was going to get in, you know, it's I've heard it's pretty hard to get into the application sure made it seem like it. Um, and I just really wanted to go, go spend three and a half months in the Bahamas. Cause I was like, well, I can, first of all, I can get out of just the crap of, of middle of winter here in Gunnison where it's negative 20 every other week Ugh. and, and, and go, you know, and go catch some bonefish and, you know, and I'm so just grateful, especially to my parents for being like, sure, go, go ahead. Or, one of my harebrained ideas to go pick up a bus in California. Sure. Go ahead, George. It'll be a great experience. Cause a lot of this, this stuff I do has been motivated by my dad's younger days. And he had all these crazy stuff going on. He'd go travel for, I mean, he traveled for so long and he roughed it. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but yeah, once I go to college, I'm, I'm planning on every, every summer to do at least one, international trip if I can and I've I, there's a way to do it really cheap which if you're a college student there's no other way to do it <laughs> so um you know one of my good buddies Sam Crispin who you who I've told you about mm -hmm. if he spends he tells me if he spends more than like $1,500 a month when he's in Nepal or Thailand he's doing it wrong and so I've taken a lot of his philosophies and I'm going to be using that for the next two adventures I've got. Uh, I'm doing Bolivia in July with one of my good friends, Kevin. And I think you know why we're going, Golden Dorado. That's nuts. Um, yeah. And then this winter, this so exactly a year from now, I've had to plan things really far ahead for this ex expedition. I'm doing Papua New Guinea for two weeks. Uh, and that is also with Kevin. And and I've realized it's also, it's always good to have a good travel buddy, someone who has your back and, you know, we're, we're teenagers still. He's 18. I'm almost 18. I'll be 18 when we go to Bolivia and I'll still be 18 when I go to Papua New Guinea with him. And it's really good. I think when you're that, when you're as young as we are, and I, I gotta admit, we haven't, I mean, I've seen a lot of the world as far, you know, cause I'm pretty young, but I haven't, I'm still kind of sheltered. You know, I'm, I'm still living with my parents. I'll be out in a year, but I think like a lot of the reason for, for me traveling and, and going to these places 
is I just want to go see the world. You know, there's this whole globe out there that's pretty accessible. You know, if you if you just save for for a couple months or a year and put away money, you can get to these crazy places. Oman is ridiculously cheap, and then you can go catch GTs right there. And yeah. I know that that when I'm out of college, I'm not gonna have much. And and the first thing I'm gonna be doing is I'm gonna be be I'm gonna go travel. And then you know if I if I can do a year, that's great. Um, and then I'll you know get back into the real world. But and it's also so cool to have all these crazy experiences and stories you can tell of of things you've done and and kind of helps motivate people to go do the same thing because this world's there to go see and you've only got a limited you know you got time and why not go use it you know Mm -hmm. the time's ticking i know i'm only 17 but i can you know i know that one day i'm going to be old and too old to go travel and i think that that i'm going to try as hard as i can to to not go along with the american dream I don't know if that's going to be possible for me, but I've read a lot of books that that suggest people have done it, but eventually it sucks you back in after long enough. Um, good book I, I recommend is 10 Years a Nomad. It's about a guy who, you know, he's 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 in a kind of a shitty cor- corporate job at a hospital and he saves up and he goes on a trip to Thailand for his vacation. And and what and he meets these people from from other countries like from Belgium and, and Europe, and and he realizes that that people in other countries they go and they travel for a long time. Yeah. No matter where you're working, there they have like double the amount of time that uh, Americans get to go travel, because the media portrays a lot of the world as this just shithole. Why would you go anywhere when America's safe and and there's this ocean separating us from the shithole across the ocean? And there's there's a culture out there that exists that's like, well, you know what? F that. Let's go adventure. And what this guy ends up doing is he ends up he goes abroad for 10 years. And what he does is he'll go travel for a year, keep it really cheap, like cheaper than the rent he pays in, in America. And then he'll come back to America, work for a couple months, and then he goes right back out and he does that for a decade. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just so inspiring um, that he did that and then wrote a book about it, uh, presumably to inspire other people, um, which is just really cool that, that there is people that do that and you don't hear about it much, you know? Right. Um, no, that, I, and I had to jot that down. Uh, 10 Years of Nomad. I, I got that one written down. I got to look that one up. But mm-hmm. um, no, what, what, what you just went through is really, really, and that's kind of like the meat and potatoes that I wanted to get out of this. And you articulate it really well, by the way, for somebody that's 17. And maybe it's because I don't know. I feel like that kind of travel probably humbles you to a degree. It does. Um, So that's, that's cool. But um, there's a lot of different kind of ears that I imagine are going to be listening to this. Um, So, and I think that one, you know, I, I really want to encourage younger people to do something similar. So the fact that you're expanding on how to do it and shedding light on, on the reality and the simplicity of that it's not that hard to do, especially even on a tight budget is, is encouraging. And I think that's what people want to hear. But for those who are older listening to this, especially like younger parents or even older parents, um, I think it's like our duty and responsibility to, 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 instill that in, in our kids. I'm actually, I mean, I'm a dad, I have two young daughters 
And, you know, the last thing I want to do is make them fearful of taking risks or be a shelter parent or, you know, uh, if they heaven forbid ever say I'm passionate about, I don't know, chasing butterflies. Oh, there ain't no money in that. You're wasting your time with that. Mm -hmm. Like that's the worst. I mean, that is the worst thing that we can do. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. The fact that you, you know, credit your parents with letting, like lending you this kind of freedom. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just going to build stronger relationships with your parents as well. When, exactly. that, when that level of, of trust is there. Um, so it's all really important stuff. And I think too, like, I think back to whenever I was 17 and 18 and it's like, you know, not to like make it sound like there's regrets because I'm only 36. I'm still yeah. young. Oh, but- yeah. I had opportunities because I think of this very vividly because I've talked to other guys that are much more well-traveled than me and and a lot younger. But I remember having a lot of opportunities between summer break. I went to a military school, but there were still opportunities to do semesters abroad. Uh, when I was doing like Spanish, there was opportunities. I remember they would come and like try to recruit people to go do this. Like who wants to go do this? And for whatever reason, I never did it. And I sometimes wonder, I'm like, why? why did I not do that? Like, what was it? Like, what was, you know, why was I in like a fearful mindset? I don't know. It's very strange. And I, and I do also remember, you know, cause I was very passionate about fishing in the outdoors from an early age, but I think that I had this idea in my mind that, you know, I don't know. It's like, you're living in dream world. If you think that you can go do that stuff for like for a living, you'll, you'll be, it'll just never work. You got to get a regular job. And, and I've had interesting jobs. I mean, I have, I guess you could call it a regular job now. Um, but I'm still carving out the time to do the things that I enjoy. And that's kind of twofold, especially as a parent, it's like, you want to do those things to a point that your kids see that you have something you're passionate about and you do it. You don't want to do it so much that you're not there for your kids, but you also want to like instill in your kids, like you're doing it at the optimal time in your life to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that I'd have got a lot of my stuff done, you know, because at some point you, you got to be available for your wife, for your kids. But, uh, I'm like, damn, you know, I think of all the, uh, the time and I, and I had summer jobs where I was making money, plenty of money to go travel. And yeah. it's like, I did not save it. That's another good skill. Clearly somebody instilled in you good parenting, good, whatever. Maybe you're just more disciplined a person than me, but that's an important thing. I think for people that are out there making money is, and it's not a skill of mine. If my if, or when my wife listens to this, she's going to chuckle because I am not a good saver. She's quick mm-hmm. to let me know about that. She's the financial guru, yep. but it is something I'm trying to work on more. She's very supportive. She knows what my dream trips are. And she tries to encourage me her best way to to save so that I can have them happen. And I'm very hopeful that this year will be my first year to go international. I've done I've never been out of the country. I've hardly been out of the southeastern United States. But, uh, you know, in recent years, the finances have been there to make these trips happen. Yep. COVID, I was, you know, I don't know. I kind of battled the... Uh, Anyway, I don't want to get into the COVID thing, but let's just say now travel restrictions aren't really in place. So hopeful that I can start doing these things for myself. But um, it is very interesting that, you know, and I actually mentioned this on a previous uh, podcast. A lot of people don't realize like the windows of opportunity to go and do these things are like constantly flying by you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think 
if you have the vision to be like, I don't know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, always like on a head on the swivel. Sometimes it is a good thing to take your eyes off the prize. Yep. And it's a weird thing to say, but I try to say that. Like if you get too focused on a certain objective, you'll miss those just unplanned opportunities to do something unique. And I Definitely. think I had those opportunities come up, either didn't notice them, was oblivious to them, or was too fearful to take them. But uh, you're, uh, you're approaching it the right way. And I, and I would encourage other people who listen to take that to heart because, uh, man, when those opportunities come up to go do something unplanned, it sounds, I don't know, I don't want to say dangerous, but unplanned especially at your stage in life. It's it's not super risky to take those chances. You don't yeah. have a lot that can go wrong, but, uh, but anyway, that's, that's awesome. That's the stuff I really wanted to get into. Um, I'm so I'm kind of curious, like you're sort of living in the moment now, but I mean, do you have a picture on like, like, what is your objective? I don't know, like career wise, not that you should be, nailing that down yet i didn't know what i wanted to do until i was like a junior in college uh but like what what, what where is this going like what do you where do you what do you see yourself doing like i guess as a career you know i've thought a lot about colleges and i've thought a little bit about careers which is you know i must be doing something right if i'm thinking just a little bit about careers um which my as my dad said was much more than than he thought about careers he said he he went into college, you know, he's, he wanted to be a Spanish teacher and that's what he did um, for a while. And that also him, you know, taking Spanish in college that opened up like half the world to him. Just that, you know, then you're fluent in a second language that a ton of ton of countries speak. And so he's been like all through all through that. But um, career wise, I there's so many things I'm passionate about that I'm almost a little overwhelmed on what I'll do. You know, I really want to major in college in film. I think that'd be really cool for me to do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the schools I look at, you know, they're, they have, a, they have some really good film programs and, you know, like documentaries and that kind of stuff really, really interests me. And, and I, I know my way around a camera stills wise. And I, Definitely, I think I'm proficient at videos, but the video thing, when I see a guy who's who's really good at filming and editing and making a beautiful story, it's, it's I mean, I just feel awe, that's it, because realizing how hard it is to put together yeah. a 40-minute story that'll make people just feel all these emotions is really hard. And that's something that I would love to do as a career. And, and I think with that a little bit, there's definitely some exploration involved. Um, and I don't know, I just, I've got options and, and I'm so glad that I do. Um, for a while, fisheries biology interested me so much. And I had, I had a pool pond in my basement for two yeah since so coronavirus to about 2022 when we moved um I had to dismantle it and give my fish away but I had just such a fun time like creating that ecosystem in there and and tinkering around with with how fish did did together and and filtration and all that stuff and um so I definitely definitely could do that but something about the film thing just really interests me and I think the big thing is like that, that I could combine it and, and hopefully 
try and make like travel like i don't know there's not much thought into this as you can tell but like if i could somehow have a gig where i went and filmed documentaries abroad that's just my dream right there you know you get you basically get paid to travel and hopefully hopefully it works out but yeah um yeah we'll see we'll see how it well, plays out yeah your your experience will probably be different than mine was i went to a really weird military school so it was a little harder to have i don't know clarity of vision in an environment like that but uh i, I all i can say is i mean i don't know you seem like a sharp guy but for sure, if there's an idea that kind of is a recurring idea and it keeps coming back to one thing and you kind of entertain other ideas, but it always comes back, you know, I don't know, man, that's your conscience speaking to you. And I think there's some some power behind that. And it's like you don't want to ignore those little voices in your head, because I think the people who do ignore that, they end up leading a very unfulfilling and sad life, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a very fear based life and. You know, you mentioned the thing about the American dream. That's that's in the eye of the beholder. You know what I mean? I, I you know, yeah. I don't think you have to be part of the machine. You know, yep. the, the the economic machine. Um, and I think more people are starting to kind of wake up to that. But you know, I think as long as you kind of start to develop a good, strong plan, um, mm-hmm. and you're not just in the dream phase. It, clearly, you're not in the dream phase. Like you're a guy that's going out and doing things, and that's really admirable i actually i thought you were older than 17 i'm like oh my gosh i'm like i don't even know i was like picking my nose when i was 17 i don't even remember like um so that's that's awesome and that and and i want more people hearing that kind of message that you know, especially in this you know day and age where i don't know i don't want to get to a point where I'm like all oh, them damn young people but you know a lot of people like just they live in this world and yeah, it's like definitely. I don't need to go to uh, French Polynesia. I'll just watch a YouTube video about it. Pretty yeah. much, maybe put on some 3D goggles and experience it in the 3D world. But um, you know, more people need to be getting those life experiences, and I think that's that that's going to give you like way more clarity of vision, especially than I had. Um, my my vision was real. I don't know. It was dusty back then. It's it's clearer now. But uh, again, you know, I've got kids of my own and it's my responsibility to, yeah. you know, lay that groundwork for them. But, uh, Definitely. but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, I'm interested. I know, uh, I, you know, your future plans really, like, you're a guy that I'm going to be following for sure. I mean, anytime somebody's already like hitting it this hard, this early on, I'm like, man, this dude's going to have done some wild stuff 10 years from now. Like, and you'll only be 27 then I'm 36. Yeah. Yeah, it's just don't let your foot off the gas, but uh, yeah, but uh, well, what are the plans for this year? Let's say this year specifically, you got anything especially in mind for 2023 before the end of the year? Any like end of year objectives? Yeah, so so end of year objectives, I I want to, I mean, you know, from a more shallower like fishing perspective versus like just live, I want to catch a catch like an 80 pound GT. That's that's my goal. And I want to knock Dorado off the list. So, you know, there's why I have all these plans kind of starting to come together on the Dorado trip. And that's a funny story on how that got planned, Um, because I somehow ended up with a free Dorado trip. And I, it was crazy how that worked out. Um, yeah. <laughs> but pop out New Guinea is so cool. And that's like my my end of year resolution would be to get to pop out New Guinea successfully 
Because, I mean, it's as far as you can get, basically. It's, you know, got a layover in Australia. It's way the heck over there. Mm-hmm. I could get to pop out successfully, spend 14 days there fishing my butt off, and then come back successfully with a ton more stories. 2023 is looking to be pretty good. I mean, I I can't wait for, for what the future holds, you know. Always just got all these ideas floating around in my head on, oh, God, where should I go next? What? What, what do I want to do, you know, and I'm just, you know, plans tend to tend to change um, pretty, pretty easily. And I'm just glad I've got this starting to uh, get figured out. Um, but yeah, Bolivia is a funny story on how that happened. <laughs> so um, if you want, I can tell you about it. But yeah, um, go ahead. I, I want to hear. I'm, I'm interested. So my dad and my grandpa were supposed to go to Bolivia. Um, well, and I, I was supposed to go too, but this was way back in 2020 when they had this booked. And it was going to be like a cool father, you know, it was going to be a grandfather, father, son kind of deal, for three of us. And then all of a sudden this pandemic hits and obviously Bolivia is completely out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And my dad almost forgot that he had, paid for the trip he had like put these deposits down and and i talked to him again in 20 like last year and i was like hey dad are we going to bolivia because you've basically paid for the trip like let's go and and he said son i think i'm a little too old to fish for 10 days straight in the jungle and i was like what (laughs) come on and and i tried so hard i was like yeah this is like this is once in a lifetime. This is crazy fishing. It's golden Dorado. I mean, come on. And he was like, no, I think we're just, you know, just going to have to cancel that. And a couple of months later, I was talking to Kevin, my good friend who I've told you briefly about who I went on the bus with. And, and I was like, Kevin, we should do a big fishing trip together. And he said, let's go to Bolivia. And that all of a sudden I remembered that we had two spots already deposited and and the third one we hadn't paid for thank god um and and i so i walked up to my dad i was like hey dad um you know you know you've got those spots those spots booked you want to you want to let me and my friend take them because you're not coming and he said yes (laughs) i i didn't expect him to say that i kind of thought i thought he'd kind of given up on that trip and and he he thought it'd be a cool experience for the two of us to do you know this is like two months after i turn 18 so this Mm -hmm. is going to be kind of my first real real experience out there without any form of group or anything you know no family nothing and it's good i'm really excited i think it's going to be really good for me but i'm just stoked i don't have to to pay for it because pop out is gonna suck probably all the money i've saved up dry which is perfectly fine because that's you know it's all i live for what Um, do you got your eyes on in in papua new guinea is it those new guinea bass uh that would be um we're going for gts so okay okay i didn't so you're gonna be more of the the salt water yeah it's got uh, so much so much diversity over there in png and it's it's cool mm -hmm. so um definitely a little nervous on that one i think bolivia will be a great a great step into it because that's that's a big trip to do at 18. Yeah. 
and and that trip's going to be cool it's all you know we're all going to be camping on the beach with this expedition group you know staying in like a-frame huts that have been built you know the island's uninhabited it's really it's it's really cheap i mean you know you're not there's no there's no toilet there's a hole in in the ground and right (laughs) so um definitely not your typical lodge um i think you know the tents and and just staying on the beach and catching your own food is is really appeals to me a lot and and i like that too you can you can get to this crazy fishing and the airfare's ridiculous over there i can't even believe it because no one really goes to png you know i don't think it's a very popular tourist destination you know except if you want to go fish for two weeks but um yeah, it's just I can't wait, and I know it's a year away, but I'm still just like dreaming of GTs on top water. So, um, well, I'll be watching intently, and uh, I don't know, man. Your 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 energy about this stuff is infectious. I hope that you are continue like sharing the experiences because yeah. uh, you know it, it may be unbeknown to you, and I always wonder that. But when you put that stuff out there, there's there's somebody that's going to be can't help but be inspired by, especially a story like the story that you're telling here, maybe somebody's listening, the yeah. photos that you take, uh, even the wildlife photos you take. I mean, all those things are instrumental in kind of keeping this, I don't know, spirit of outdoorsman alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you, if you're the type that does it by fishing with gummy worms and acting silly. Sure. But, uh, I don't know. I, I really, I, I really like your style. I think more people need to hear this message and be pursuing passions and pursuing, uh, it's experiences. I mean, just yeah. getting out there. And I mean, I don't know. That's so much more valuable than like things that you could be buying or having some high end job. It's like you, you're living a very fulfilling life already. And, uh, I, don't know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. The energy is pretty, pretty awesome. And I hope people are taking that, uh, away from this. That was a big part of the reason I wanted to have you on here. So, um, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and, and, mm-hmm. and talking about that stuff. I, I mean, I feel like you're like a chapter book and we may have to catch up and do another episode another time because it's like, you know, you're, you're like the, you're, I think you're like, your story's not done yet. You know what I mean? So, Oh, definitely uh, not. I, I gotta, I gotta follow up after you've done some of these trips, but I got all the confidence. Uh, you, you'll accomplish the, the goals that you set out for, but yeah, but, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, man. I mean, there's my new year's resolution get two big trips done and come back alive with no horrible Bolivian bot fly or something, you know, growing yeah. out of my skin. So, um, either way, well, I think golden Dorado is well worth it. Oh yeah. Well, listen, I, I wish, I almost wish we'd have started with this, but I mean, I'll, we've talked about your photography. We've talked about your photos of fishing and the people who are listening and be like, okay, cool. That's great. Good story. I, I want to see this stuff. If somebody wanted to see, like your photos or your photography page or your uh, whatever, any socials, anywhere that people can learn more about you, maybe ask you questions like how, how would people find you? Yeah. So right now I'm pretty much totally on Instagram as far as social media goes. Um, I'm very rarely on Facebook. I have an account. I use that to communicate with my grandparents and that's about it. Um, but you know i have two separate accounts one is where i post all my media related stuff so that'd be a little more professional um and that'd be at george hadaway media on instagram um and i'll just be posting on there 
you know, photos that I've taken really anywhere, um, doesn't matter where, just as long as they're taken with this. And, um, you know, and with that, like I have my personal account where that's where I'm going to be posting, you know, just cool stuff I'm doing, you know, a little update from Bolivia or whatever, and just cool pictures, you know? And uh, that's, that's a lot like where my friends can check in on and, and where, you know, it's a little more, I guess, teenage related more than anything, you know, more Gen Z. Um, but yeah, you know, I still, I post like, that's where probably I post a lot of my fishing stuff. It's just mm-hmm. on there. I'll just put a dump of like 10 photos and, you know, of stuff I caught wherever I was. And that's just George Hathaway. So George Hathaway and then George Hathaway Media. All right. Well, I'll end up adding that to like the description of this. And if, if, and if I can figure out how to do it, I'll put it up on, on the video. And uh, I'm sure other people will, will start tuning in to watch the next thing you're going to yeah. next place you find yourself. in. I know I'll be watching, but mm-hmm. man, I really appreciate your time. Um, and anyway, we got to keep in touch for sure. Even after this. So of course. All right, man. Well, you have a good one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You as well, David, it was, it was great joining you on this. And as you know, I'm always down to talk fishing, travel, photography, adventure. Um, so yeah, let me know and we can, we'll keep in touch. Definitely. We will definitely be talking. All right. It was a pleasure. All right, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.